You've survived another week. Thank you for listening, downloading, and supporting the Black Man with a Gun Show. This week, the purity test from David B. Cole. Shoot, don't shoot. Interview with a conservative political TV mogul by the name of Tucker Carlson. Tis the season for gun buybacks. I want to talk about that and give some props to some people who are doing it right. You may have heard of him. His name is Rick Ector. And to get you in the Christmas mood, I got some throwback commercials from back in the day. All this and more coming up next. Blackmanwithagun.com Ken Blanchard's Pro-Gun Podcast. This is episode number 550. We're going to talk about guns and history and firearms reviews. And it's a conscientious look weekly for the mature people in the gun community about what's going on. Now, my name, the black man with a gun, is not to incite, but to inspire. I'm trying to showcase diversity in the gun culture with experts on hunting, gun rights, the justice system, American history, and self-defense. And I try to do it all with humor and compassion for all people. Welcome to the show. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Hey, remember back when we were kids and you were, couldn't wait till this time of year for all the gifts and all the cool commercials? Remember when the books would come out with all the toys in it and you would sit up there and circle stuff and rip out pages and stick it where your parents could find it so Santa Claus would give you the right stuff? Man, I remember when a, a radio was a big deal to me. I remember I had this leather-bound Radio with FM and it had a, a headphone thing, a mono jack, just one. And man, I thought I was doing something. And then when he finally came out with the stereo headphones, they were huge, big as like aircraft carrier um, protection. But I thought I had something, a FM, and then I got a cassette and it just kept on getting better every year. But before that, before the music hit it and before we were, I was always into toys. How about you? What was your favorite toy? Mine had to have a gun with it. They had guns for everything. The secret agent guns. They had the cowboy guns. They had the police guns. They had the military guns. They were cartoon guns. This was all before everybody went crazy and banned having fun. Back when we were responsible, back when we were loved, back before everybody got all overcritical about nothing, back when common sense was common. Remember that? How about this Johnny 7? Remember this gun? This was a wild gun right here. I had it, though. Did you? Your squad is ready for you to lead them through. With Johnny 7 OMA, you charge. Fire grenade. Bullseye for Johnny 7. Watch out, tank. Fire anti-armor shell. Fire anti-tank rocket. Johnny 7's got him on the run. Johnny Seven fires bullets like a rifle. Fires like a Tommy gun. Now it's a cap-firing pistol. You've won with Johnny Seven, the one-man army gun. It's seven guns in one. Let's count them. One is a grenade launcher. Two anti-armor gun. Three anti-tank gun. Four bullet-firing rifle. Five Tommy gun. Six anti-bunker gun. Seven cap-firing pistol. 
There's no other gun like it. To be sure, look for Johnny 7, OMA, the one-man army by Topper. And back in the day, a cap gun was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And then later on, we got into science fiction on a big, I mean, it was huge. It was Star Trek toys, Star Wars toys, next to uh, guns with robots. I had a toy robot. I just remember that. I had toy robots for everything, too. If it wasn't a gun, it was a robot. Metal ones, plastic ones. Everything required batteries. Christmas was noisy as I don't know what in my house. Until about January 15th and all the batteries died. Then it was quiet for a while. Parents took a while on purpose not to buy me any batteries. I played with my stuff anyway. Didn't I had sound effects. Was I the only one? Yeah. Star Wars was huge, though. There was toys for that thing. They were pimping that thing every week. Remember that? Star Wars. You and your children loved it. Now, the Earthlings at Kenner have asked my associate and me to present the Star Wars collection. Truly remarkable toys and games for your children. What are you so excited about now? My goodness, the Star Wars TIE Fighter and X-Wing Fighter. Now your children can relive our great space battles or collect our wonderful Star Wars companions with Kenner's Star Wars action figures. R2, it's a little you. Kenner's new radio-controlled R2-D2 anyone can command. Ah, the Star Wars land speeder that moves like it's floating. And here's Kenner's Death Star space station, four floors of action. A trash compactor, too. Yes, Martu, that's the Star Wars electronic laser battle, a game of speed, reflex, and reaction. These and other toys and games in Kenner's Star Wars collection are sold separately. Batteries are not included. May the force be with you and your children. Oddly enough, Star Wars is still in. Star Wars The Last Jedi comes out this week. How many of you guys are going to go check it out? It was the same when I was a kid back then. This show is sponsored by CrossbreedHolsters.com. Longtime sponsors and truly a family I love. Gift cards for guns. If you're not a gun owner and noticing all the violence around the country, a gun buyback, a goods for guns, a guns for cash sponsored by a church might just seem like a plan. The truth is, it's not. It's not original. It's not even effective. And there's no proof that it's ever worked. Now, I say this as a former law enforcement officer, a firearms instructor, and an activist with over 20 years on the street doing just this right here fighting for the rights of other people. Here's why. The bad guys that shoot, kill, and destroy are not going to give up their guns, their source of power and influence for a gift card. If they give up a gun that's been used in a crime, they'll most likely give it to somebody they know to turn in just to get rid of the evidence. And this would impede criminal investigations and keep cold cases cold. Alex, my friend on Facebook, says, they're murder evidence disposal services. And these programs also increase the possibility that somebody you know might actually steal a gun belonging to you or somebody in your family in order to get some quick cash for these small tokens. These can actually cause crime. And these things could be family heirlooms, collector's items, or firearms bought as investment pieces. And unless it is separated for special treatment, this historical artifact will likely be melted down into rebar for the children 
or it just might go missing. Historically, gun buybacks are politically popular because, hey, they make somebody feel good. Here in Maryland, Prince George's County Police tell the Baltimore Sun that they will accept guns in exchange for them with gift cards valued at up to $150 just this Saturday. Woo! $30,000 versus $150. Call me dumb, but something ain't right. You know that guns are just mechanical devices that can't operate without human hands. You know they don't have any evil powers or will of their own. But there are so many that love to just let that little factoid go away. Also, there's no such thing as gun violence. It's just violence. If you put gun in front of it, it's, that means that the gun alone is causing these kids to kill. Mm-hmm. That's what it means if you say it that way. That's just how our English, English, you know, I can't say it, but I can write pretty good. That's how language works. These programs, and I put that in quotes, are often at the end of the year. How convenient. And during a time when it benefits their donor for tax purposes and gives them a little end of year publicity for this charade. That's all this is. And it's always done in neighborhoods where the community doesn't know any better or is too busy fighting to live to notice that this is just another feel good gesture and they're getting played. They're being hoodwinked. They're being bamboozled. Rick Ector says it uh, really good. He did something phenomenal. He purposely disrupts gun buybacks in Detroit. And you can read about that on his blog, Legally Armed in Detroit or Laid. I learned about it from him and is written in Amoland.com. He calls it a scam from the left or law enforcement firearms transfer. Not really a gun buyback. Back in November 2013, approximately 20 Detroit area gun rights activists attended a local event officially billed as a massive gun buyback initiative to stage a demonstration of their own against the city of Highland Park's Michigan's government. Less than a week before the event, Highland Park Police Chief Kevin Coney was mentioned in the press in which he stated that he was going to announce a gun buyback seeking to entice local citizens into surrendering their guns on a no-questions-asked basis. Program participants were promised to be rewarded with $50 cash for any working handgun and would be given $100 cash for any working long gun, rifle, or shotgun. The press release also included the following quote from the city's mayor, Andre Windham, who was quoted as saying, I applaud the effects or the efforts of our police department in proactively taking necessary measures to get guns off the street and to promote safety in our community. Law enforcement firearms trades left. According to my man, Rick Ector, here's what they did. They set up for business on the side of the event. The Highland Park Fire Station. Activists made sure that they were equipped to comply with current state law by having either a Michigan concealed pistol license or a Michigan pistol purchase permit and Michigan police sales record forms. In Michigan, private handgun transfers require purchase permits and registration. The protest started slowly but had an unpredictable result. The event was scheduled to start at 8 a.m., but the city did not open their doors to the public until 8.30. At that time, there were only seven people in line. Participation to the event was relatively light early in the day, and it picked up as it got on later. After estimated 24 firearms purchases, the city of Highland Park ran out of money shortly after noon. The event was scheduled to last until 4 p.m. Apparently, they did not have a big enough budget for this event. They hung up a sign and closed up for the day. But Rick and the, and the gun rights activists there were still making offers and willing buyers and making purchases. 
the gun buyback had turned into a gun show. By the time the activists stopped buying guns, they recorded a combined purchase count of 31 firearms. See, that's just thinking outside the box. Rick Ector, NRA credentialed firearms trainer, who's been doing it and doing it in Motown. Thanks, Big Rick. You see, technically, gun buybacks are illegal. The government and the police cannot buy guns from citizens without going through the same stuff that Rick and the folks from that state had to do. Every state has its own laws. See, the only real loophole is the one we allow politicians and celebrities to take guns from law-abiding people and not hold them accountable for it. These buybacks get headlines, but they don't save your kids. It's like a pyramid scheme where it only benefits the people at the top, while the folks at the bottom are still struggling to survive. If you really want to fix the violence problem, we need a moral revolution and a restoration of the American family. Truth is, nobody can fix us but us. Thank you. Crossbreedholsters.com. Often imitated, never duplicated. Handcrafted in the USA. Home of the lifetime warranty and a tried free guarantee. Crossbreedholsters.com. Back when I first got started in my activism and civil rights activities, I met a guy who lived in Baltimore. He was a stockbroker at the time. And he had to shoot somebody in his house. Actually killed him. And it changed his life. My friend said that he was not a gun person. His father had given him a shotgun for protection. He was a new homeowner. He owned a really nice condo apartment kind of thing over near the um, stadium, the Orioles Park, Camden Yards in Baltimore. Really nice neighborhood. And he was working. And somebody threw a chair through his patio window and then just walked in and stole everything at the bottom of the floor. Everything they could find and grab, smash and grab. He was home at the time, terrified. Well, it wasn't long before. He had just got the glass replaced. And it happened again. This time, he was upstairs. The shotgun was near him. And when he heard the glass breaking, he thought, I can't believe this is happening. Well, he grabbed the shotgun, an old Browning hunchback. And didn't even know how to use it. The guy went to take his stereos and everything. He had just got replaced. And with this sign was heading up the stairs when my friend saw him. And he looked at each other eye to eye with the new homeowner holding the shotgun, fumbling with the shells, not knowing how to load it at all. This gave the bad guy a little courage to charge the stairs. Well, the shells went home, a trigger was pressed, and the bad guy was shot 
in the face and the chest from the shotgun. This was September 21st, 1993. The stockbroker went on to get training and is proficient in firearms now. And his whole world is a little bit different. He's no longer a stockbroker either. But one of the real things that happened during this whole exchange was he wasn't trying to get famous from it. He was sorry for the loss of life. He was he remembers how much how long it took for the police to come after he called him and told him that there was a man dying on his carpet at the bottom of the stairs. He watched as the police showed up, brought the dogs, and still waited. And he spoke to him over the phone. He could see them outside the window, but they weren't in no hurry to come in and change the situation. He was on his own, even though he had called the police. When you really have to use force to stop someone, it's not pretty. Could you do it? Would you do it? And after it's over, can you articulate to the police what happened so that you don't end up in jail? And if you do, that you don't stay there. Let me give you a hypothetical situation. And then you tell me if you would shoot or not shoot. You just got home. The front door has been bashed in. You grab your telephone, your cell phone. You call 911. You call everybody. You unholster and you enter your house. Just as you get inside, you hear a crash. A door opens up and you see two people running out the back door. What do you do? Shoot. Don't shoot. You decide. In the news this week, on BlackManTheGun.com, my friend and brother David B. Cole wrote a really good article. He says, it's been heck of a week, hasn't it? As I write this, H.R. 38, the Concealed Carry Reciprocity Act of 2017, just passed the House of Representatives. But apparently, that is not good news, since the bill does not reset American gun control law back to 1791 in one fell swoop. Dave says he's apparently not pure in his support of the Second Amendment unless he rejects all gun legislation, which does not do precisely that. At least that's what it sounds like. If you listen to the furball of commentary on the Internet surrounding the passage of H.R. 38, which was combined with a, quote, fix nicks bill designed to enforce compliance from federal and state agencies who are required to submit certain records to the nicks system, The aforementioned commentary from self-proclaimed Second Amendment purist has informed me that because requiring permits to carry is unconstitutional and because background checks are unconstitutional, that an otherwise positive piece of legislation must be run through the shredder and the bits lit on fire. Now, Dave says, while a law ensuring that citizens who can carry a gun in one jurisdiction will be able to carry in all of them might seem like a good thing. Purist insist, in fact, that it's not. And although ensuring that currently prohibitive persons are reported as required by law might sound reasonable, purists are quite clear that, in fact, it is not. Dave says, and I say, give us a break. 
Ideologically, I am about as pure on the Second Amendment as you can get. I have positions on gun freedom that would make many, quote, gun people cringe, if not try to throw a net over me. As such, I submit to you some of those positions as the Second Amendment purity test. I believe that no one should be required to have any sort of permit to own or to carry a gun, period. Two, I believe that there should be no background checks whatsoever. Three, I do not believe there should be such a thing as a, quote, prohibited person. If you cannot be trusted to have a gun because of a criminal tendency or mental illness, you should be confined. Four, I do not believe that there should be any restrictions on the type of firearm a free person may own. Five, I do not believe there should be any such thing as a federal firearms license to sell guns, even as a business. And finally, I do not believe that there should be any, quote, gun-free zones anywhere, period. All right, Dave says he admits this is utopian, but he's not going to oppose legislation which does not achieve it. Not because I don't want it, but because I live in the real world. And because I live in the real world, I can accept measures which, while imperfect, increase gun freedom. This is not 1791, and it's unrealistic to expect that it ever will be again. We have the world we have, and we must work within the confines of reality if we expect to regain even a little of the liberty we enjoyed in the past. Rejecting national reciprocity because we prefer national constitutional carry is dumb. Rejecting the enforcement of NICS because we disagree with it is just as dumb. And if we continue to reject progress simply because it does not return us to the days of the founding, we will continue to lose. Commentary by David B. Cole. You can find a lot of his good stuff at blackmanwithagun.com. Black Man with a Gun. Reloaded. Get the inside, the background, wisdom, information, and experiences of Reverend Ken Blanchard, CIA firearms instructor, gun rights activist that has been involved in this community since 1991. Read about guns, the culture, the community, and the inside stuff behind what you see everywhere else. You can get it firsthand from the guy they call the black man with the gun in his book on Amazon.com. Black man with a gun, reloaded. Do you have a concealed carry permit? Have you received training, been educated in its use of self-defense and protecting you and your family? Well, one piece you might be missing is self-defense insurance. It's what responsible gun owners do. A friend of mine started a company, a magazine back in the day, and the magazine was successful. He was able to branch out, provide education, training, and self-defense insurance for responsible gun owners. It's the USCCA. I'm now an affiliate. I want to show off my buddy right now. Go to uscca.blackmanwithagun.com and check out the page. I guarantee you there's something that you could use, something that can help you, something that can make you better. uscca.blackmanwithagun.com. Check it out. Education, training, and self-defense insurance for responsible gun owners. If you are new to the gun industry, the gun community, welcome. I got some tips for you here. Knowledge is power. Knowledge can save you money. Knowledge can keep you alive. So do a little bit of research if you are new and you're thinking about buying a gun for self-protection or for defense of your home, 
or to start into this whole shooting thing? Where do you start? Well, the first thing, you got to ask yourself a few questions. And the first one is, why? Why do you want a firearm? Sounds easy enough, though. But it's better that you answer that question before you go to the store. It's better than you answer that question and you listen to somebody else. Because he is full of those who will share their opinions and give you all the reasons why they do whatever they do. And it might not necessarily be for you. It's really subjective. Make sure you answer your own why first. Number two, make sure that you go to the firearms range nearest you or to the person that you know has more than normal amounts of firearms, which wherever that number is, just a lot, a selection, and that you physically try them. Put it in your hand, hold it, aim it, see how it works, learn how it works, and then make your decision. Why? There are a lot of people who have firearms that they never touch again. It was cool for the moment. They saw it in a magazine. Everybody else said they had one and they bought one and they found out that it's not for them. It doesn't shoot right for them. It doesn't feel right for them. And you don't know that unless you go through the motions with it. So before you spend more than three, four hundred dollars for one. Try before you buy. Truth be told, all guns are not created equal. So do you get a handgun, rifle or a shotgun? And if you buy a handgun, is it a revolver or a pistol? And when I say pistol, I'm talking about a semi-automatic. There are pluses and minuses for both, but you have to make that decision yourself. Just because somebody at Suarez International or Masad Ayub or Rob Pincus or Daniel Shaw or Michael Bain or any of the guys who are prolific and have been doing this for more than a few years, you're not there yet. So walk before you run. All calibers are not the same either. You can buy a gun that fits really well in your hand. But if the caliber that you're using is not for self-defense, then you might want to change your firearm. You see, there are bullet sizes, calibers of firearms that shoot that are made for protection. There are those who are made for target shooting. There are those made for competition. There are those made for any number of things under the sun. And you got to know the reason. Otherwise, you'll buy something and be stuck with it, not be happy with your purchase, or it'll just become another gun that you own, trying to save you some money and make you look smart at the same time. Some firearms are persnickety about the ammo that they eat. They don't all feed well the same bullets. Some shoot some rounds better. You have to know that going into it, or you'll think that your gun is a jam-o-matic. And here's the secret. Most firearms these days are machined to perfection, have hardly any flaws in it. So there's a boo-boo. It's probably operator error, which means don't go out and buy a $5,000 handgun. And you don't want to spend at least that much for training. Ah, training. Training is the next thing that will save you a lot of money, a lot of time and even your life. Training will help you purchase better gear that goes with your firearm, a good holster, a good, a better magazine, a better sight, a better everything. When you want to upgrade, it's the people that you meet in your class and the people that, that teach you. That'll be your probably your entry drugs into this thing. But you got to get a good one. There's a lot of people out here 
hawking their, their wares and selling their services. And all they got is the minimum. Or worse yet, they're making it up as they go. It's not backed by anything other than their own street knowledge. Be wary of that. And you can't judge a bum by his cover either. Some people have great social media. Some people have great Instagram and Facebook accounts and signs and logos, and they still suck. But you don't need anything tactical before you become practical. You can get high speed and low drag later. You must build up to these skills. You won't get it from the instructor, not off the bat. You're going to start slow. You're going to gradually increase your knowledge. You're going to practice a lot. You're going to learn from your own mistakes, your own shortcomings, your own limitations, where you should go next. Then look for that instructor to take you where you need to go next. One thing you can do is ask on social media on who you recommend for X. Referrals rule. Okay, let's skip ahead. Let's say you didn't hear this before you bought all your gear. And now you want to know what you want to do next in 2018. Next, find a mentor, find a teacher, find somebody that you trust. That can recommend training for you. You got to go with training. You have to. You got to spend more money on training than you do on your farms and your equipment. You have to. Shooting is mental. Don't let nobody else tell you that it's not. It's a self-disciplined sport. You have to have the discipline. And for my friends and family that are even further down the list than this, you've had a firearm, you've shot a while, you've got some gear, um, you've done this thing for a minute. I'm asking you in 2018 to seek training as well. Get outside your comfort zone. Get outside of your box. Get outside of your state. Travel where you have to and learn from a pro. That should be your destination, your goal for you in 2018. To become a pistolero, to become a gunfighter, to become efficient with your firearm. More than you are today. Nelson Mandela, to paraphrase him, he said, education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. Education is the most powerful weapon you can use to change your world. One of the cool things that has happened since I've been podcasting this last 10 years is that I've had a chance to talk to some pretty interesting people. And it's over 200 interviews. And I just dug one up from... Episode 353, I believe it is, um, by a guy named Tucker Carlson. And Tucker is a big political conservative talk show person, a mogul, actually. And uh, he started off, when I met him, as the editor of Daily Caller. Now you can find him on his own show on Fox. And our interview, which pretty much was just me just glad to have the man on the phone. Um, Didn't really ask him any big questions, I don't think. Your friend and brother was just starstruck and glad to have the guy on the show, actually. Um, So forgive me for not being all 60 minutes and stuff, but please welcome, regardless of your political persuasion, Tucker Carlson. And now, our featured presentation. All right. I was blessed this week to interview Tucker Carlson, political news correspondent and conservative commentator for the Fox News Channel. He's the co-founder and editor-in-chief of The Daily Caller and formerly co-hosted CNN's Crossfire and MSNBC's Tucker. Really cool guy. And I bugged him until I got him. And I had him only for a few seconds, but here it goes. Tucker Carlson, welcome to the show. Well, thanks so much for having me, Ken. You are the what of The Daily Caller? 
I'm the editor-in-chief and the co-founder. I founded it four years ago with uh, my college roommate, actually, Neil Patel, who had worked for Dick Cheney for a long time, eight years. And we both were at transition points in our lives. Uh, after the 08 election, he was leaving the White House. I was I had just gotten fired from MSNBC. And so we decided to do something um, fun. And it seemed like there was a, a real hole on the Internet where a non-liberal news site should be. So we started one. Don't find a path, make one. Exactly. And it worked. It's been really fun. What does the Daily Caller do for the most part? Um, the Daily Caller is a news site. It's a, basically, it's just an online newspaper. We have a bunch of reporters. we got about 50 employees. And we got a you know bunch of reporters. we got a White House correspondent, a couple of Capitol Hill correspondents, education. we got bureaus. we got someone in L.A. and Detroit and Chicago. And, you know, we got people all over, um, but mostly people here in D.C. And then editors and ad salesmen and basically everyone you find at a newspaper. Uh, but we have a much bigger reach than a newspaper because we're online. So there's no print edition. We get about 9 million uh, different people reading it every month. And um, so that makes us bigger than most newspapers, obviously. And uh, it's been great. I mean, it's pretty traditional, actually. I guess the one thing that sets us apart from other newspapers is we're not, you know, sucking up the Obama administration. Um, we're not out to crush Obama or anything, but we're we're definitely not his acolytes. We're not, you know, carrying water for him. Uh, right. And that makes us stand out. So you got this thing working pretty good. What's your next move? Uh, next move? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm told to be a fireman. So, uh, I don't know. You know, I've never really been a, a big career guy. I've never really thought through what I'm going to do next. Um, I think I'm not organized to, to think, uh, enough to think that way. Just, I don't know. I love what I'm doing now. So Monday through Friday, I, um, I'm here overseeing our editorial staff. And then Saturday and Sunday, I work in New York for Fox. And um, I host their morning show, The Fox and Friends, on the weekends up there. And I really like that. I love my co-hosts. And I love Fox. Super nice people. Uh, and then I come back to D.C. Sunday afternoon and start over again Monday morning. It's a great life. Fox and Friends has been going on for how long for you now? I've been doing it for exactly a year. I started doing it last uh last December and I signed in I think I don't know sometime maybe March early April for three years so I'll be doing it for a while but I love it it's great I like getting up early get up at three go for a run have a big breakfast do four hours of TV take a nap go to lunch you know I'm I'm kind of a a, a routine guy okay so I have a great routine up in New York that the show is hilarious and interesting and in four hours, you can interview a ton of people and talk about a lot of subjects, and we do. And um, the numbers are good, not because of anything I do, but because Fox just has a really strong viewership. People are loyal to Fox, and I'm grateful for that. So unlike other shows I've hosted where you're constantly worried about your ratings at Fox because of Roger Ailes, basically, or other people's hard work, the ratings are good, and you can expect them to be good. Um, so that takes a lot of pressure off me, I'll be honest. And makes it a really fun job. Oh, that's cool. Do you miss California any? Well, I grew up in Southern California. Uh, my family's been in California, you know, for a long time. A long time. And they were very proud of that because there aren't too many people who's, you know, whose families have been there a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so when I was little, and we were just enormously proud. Our family's from, from San Francisco, and they got there in the 1850s. And, you know, oh, yeah. Felt like pioneers, you know, and yep, were yep. tied to the state of California. I'm saying all this because the sad truth is I would never live in California again. I think it's really depressing. I think it's changed so much I don't even recognize it. It's still physically beautiful, but it's just so crowded and left-wing and unhappy and screwed up and on the verge of collapse. And you just feel like the California of my childhood, I'm 44, is gone. And, gone. Uh-huh. and it's sad. And immigration did that. And that's the cause. I like immigrants, actually, a lot. I like them better than Americans in some ways. But uh-huh. trained immigration is a disaster. and It's been a total disaster for California. Total disaster. And your father? I had lunch with him uh, this afternoon. My dad came out from California in the 80s to work in the Reagan administration, and we, we moved. Um, I was in 11th grade, I think, and uh, he's been here ever since, and so have I. Washington, I have to say, Washington is obviously a very evil or morally questionable city where nobody has a real job. And right, right. It's just city in America because all the tax dollars come here and government's gotten so big. D.C. has just gotten a lot more prosperous. So there are a lot of bad things you could say about Washington, but I, I got to be blunt. Do live here so you know. It's a great place to live. People are nice. It's easy. I live in the city. I don't have a commute. I think it's beautiful. Um, the food is better every year. So, you know, again, I hate to admit it because I am very much a small government guy, but Washington is a great city to live in. All right, Tucker. I mean, how, how can we watch you and see what you're doing next? Well, I sure appreciate that, Ken. Thanks a lot for calling me. So what's, your, what's, what's, what's some URLs and some ways we can, we can make sure we find you? Well, I'd, go right, I'd go right to the Daily Caller, D-A-I-L-Y-C-A-L-L-E-R.com. And it's uh, one of the bigger non-liberal news sites. And, uh, you know, I hope people like it. And we can find you on Fox and Friends, right? Every Saturday and Sunday, 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Man, really, really appreciate your time and wish you the best. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. See you. All right, see you. Not Every Day Be Christmas by Norman Wesley Brooks. Christmas is forever, not for just one day. The loving, sharing, giving are not to put away. Like bells and lights and tinsel in some box upon a shelf. The good you do for others is good you do yourself. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Kind thoughts and words of cheer are things we should do often and not just once a year. Remember, too, the Christ child grew up to be a man. To hide him in a cradle is not our dear Lord's plan. So keep the Christmas spirit. Share it with others far and near. From week to week and month to month. Throughout the entire year. And this was brought to you by Speak Life Podcast. Yeah, check it out. SpeakLifePodcast.com And that's a wrap for this week. I want to thank uh, David for writing what he wrote on BlackManWithTheGun.com for you for watching it, listening, and reading it. But us checking it out on YouTube for all those who have been subscribing to the podcast. You know, our stats went way up last month, which messed me up. If you're looking for other podcasts to listen to, check out uh, Lloyd Bailey's show. Also look out for uh, Women's Gun Show and my friends at Politics and Guns. Or just listen for Rob Morse's voice. Anything he's connected to, jump on that. Self-Defense Stories and the uh, Polite Society. As we wind down 
2017, I'm working feverishly to put into practice what I've been talking about for the last 20 years, actually building a church without walls. And it's going to be under Blanchard Ministries. Haven't found the right catchy title for it yet. But Speak Life Podcast is the um, communication arm of it for right now. And I'm working on that hard. I'm hoping that in the new year that I will be doing that as a full-time gig and hiring the staff and traveling and helping um, veterans and law enforcement and security and Christian bikers and people on the street that need a little hope, a little faith, encouragement to go on, and a little help to make it happen. If you know the words of prayer, I ask that you would help me pray for me that I would succeed in this task because I want to do this for real. I don't want this to be a pipe dream or just some passing notion. I'm hardwired to help people, and you know that I could do some good in our hood if I could just get out there full-time. Remember that gun buybacks is a sham. Look into getting some training in 2018. Please try before you buy. Please consider supporting USCCA and Crossbreed Holsters if you don't have an in-the-waistband holster or a really good belt. And just in case I don't get a chance to tell you this later, I wish you a very Merry Christmas and a very Happy New Year. If no one else tells you this today, allow me to be the first to say, I love you. And it's not a damn thing you can do about it. Until next time, this is your friend and your brother, Ken Blanchard. Shalom, baby. On the contrary, I found the Grinch to be a relatable, engaging character. (laughs) And I was really with him right up to the point that he succumbed to social convention and returned the presents and saved Christmas. (laughs) What a buzzkill that was. This show is part of the Gun Podcast Network, an exclusive group showcasing professional pro-gun podcasts and broadcasters. Hitting our targets.